0: Good morning. Court Radio is now in session. Call 215-227-2727. When you've got legal questions, we've got the answers. This is Court Radio.
1: And now here's your host, Dean Weitzman. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. We're right here on 100.3 WRMB. And Classics 107.9. There you go, folks. (laughs) We've done the legal stuff. How are you? Welcome back to Court Radio. We're excited to have a show today. If you've got a legal issue or question, just give us a call at 215-227-2727. The number for all things legal. Yes. It's going to be a good show. Got the timing all down pat for the uh, intro there, young man. That was good. You know, that's it. He's the master of the keys. And uh, off to the other corner of the studio is my co host, the one, the only Manny Manuel Glenn. Ding, ding, the legal machine. How are you, sir? I'm well. That thank is a you. great t shirt, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah that's what. Well, and cameras on for that
1: one. And and might I say that uh, that it's about uh, six or seven years old. And I could not, I looked like a sausage in it a little while ago before <laughs> before I tackled my addiction to sugar. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of addictions, yeah, addictions. Okay. We were talking about it. Yeah, let's yes. not. Let's, not, let's not No, and say oh. we did. Let's not and say we did. Let's uh, not. You know where I was last night? No. I was down at the Leah Center. Ah, oh, good for you. My youngest, Sophia, who's all of four foot tall, I think maybe, because she's always got to get up to that, like the little the thing on the measure the measure, oh, or, the, measure when, on, the measure when you go you can, on the on the you ride. Can ride. You yeah, go on yeah. this ride. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's wearing high heel shoes at <laughs> nine, so that she can get on the ride. Anyway, she's she's infatuated with volleyball.
2: So I, I'm trying. I was Aww. trying to
1: convince her that it might not be the sport for a four foot tall young lady, but she's not having any of it. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, the center. There you go. Yep. We we were spike. We, I mean not spike. Um, save the spike. Yeah, know, um, get, the setter. Yeah, yeah. The center. Yeah. The center. Uh, we went down to see Temple versus Villanova. I'm sorry, P- Temple versus Penn State, and those Penn State girls. Whew, yeah. They were all like over six foot tall and um, jump out the building yeah, and, yeah they were they were incredible like so. the
0: the record i believe was nebraska uh volleyball team as the most attended uh female uh sports yeah yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. it was, there nebraska, was in nebraska so, there was quite a few people there last night. Temple lost, uh, uh, but it how was, bad was it close? Uh, no no, no, no. Uh, it was uh, two sets to none and mm. uh and it was like twenty five to ten so okay. uh but you know we'll come back. we're gonna do it again. Uh, she's right. not having a no for an answer, and yes. so so she's playing herself. She is. We have a look at this little net set up at home called a rebounder, so uh. she can spike it and and hit it, and and it bounces right back to her. Good. So she's yeah. she's practicing her uh, shots. You don't it. think this is a fad. She likes this. Yes. This is, okay. The, this okay. is for some reason I, I I do not know, but you encourage your children. Yes, right. Absolutely. Um, and mm. and
0: and she might really be good at
1: it. She, yeah. She might. Know? And you're right. The setter or center mm-hmm. wearing a different color shirt. They were shorties. They were shorties, but they got down low. Yeah, oh, my yeah. Lord. That's a good at- attribute, I guess, in that particular yeah, position, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 215-227-2727. I see lines are lighting up. If you've got a legal issue or question, give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> we have a special guest in the studio quietly sitting there waiting for his turn. Jesse Claproth is here. Welcome to Court Radio, Jesse.
3: Thank you, Dean. Great to be here. Jesse is an
1: attorney, a fellow attorney, who um, went to uh, Tulane university oh, yes. that's cool. new orleans. down in new orleans, orleans. yeah that was a party boy yeah you my you first know. visit to new orleans was uh last year for the uh final, ncaa final four, final four. Mm, that was your first Yeah, it was my first uh, but you know they know me now down in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, substances <laughs>
0: uh, yeah they know me <laughs>
1: okay. okay dean was here nice people though yeah. You know, nice people down there. Uh, we did have a nice time. How was your time down there? Oh, it was great. Yeah,
3: I mean, to go to law school in a place where you know, it's uh, it's a party twenty four seven basically. So I know. How'd you get to uh, contracts in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I didn't. <laughs> uh,
1: Jesse has um, has many talents, I'm sure, but the one that we're focusing on today. Is employment discrimination, uh, workplace discrimination? It comes in many uh, shades and colors. Why don't you tell us in a broad stroke what is it? Um, when should one be concerned?
3: Well, so probably the most common question I get, um, you people come to me and they say, "Hey, my employer is not treating me well." Um, but most people, especially in Pennsylvania, are at-will employees, so you can be fired for any reason.
1: Now. Even even a bad reason?
3: A bad reason, but you can't be fired for an illegal reason. Okay. And the illegal reasons are race, sexual harassment, gender discrimination, ethnicity, religion. Those are the illegal reasons. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes if you blow the whistle, if you speak out about fraud or abuse in the, in, in the workplace and you're fired for that. So if somebody comes to you with that, they may have a case. A retaliatory mm-hmm. firing. Yes.
1: So I, I complain that something's not right here at the workplace and that within a week they say it's time for you to go.
3: Yes, and in fact, I mean, the courts will look at the timeline. So, I mean, if you complain about something and a year later you're fired, probably not retaliation because you have to have that causation. But if you, you know, lots of times people will say, hey, I complained about racial discrimination. I I, you know, filed this complaint with HR. Two weeks later, they're fired. Well, you know, now we probably have a case. Uh, Retaliation cases are a little bit different too because the thing you're complaining about doesn't actually have had to occur so if you believe that it's happening to you you have a good faith basis you complain even if it doesn't happen even if you can't prove your case the retaliation then becomes your case so lots of times you know if, if you're an employer and somebody is complaining about something that's when they do the workplace investigation that's when they sort of put a pause on everything because the next action they take could get them sued could you
0: say that list again you said what, race, uh, the illegal stuff is what yeah
3: so it's race gender uh, ethnicity religious belief um, it can be uh, disability as age? well age age discrimination is a big one
0: there was a time in the black community when it came in hairstyle alone yeah not and it wasn't religious just hairstyle right is that considered illegal well
3: it could one because the, it, it could go to race it could go to ethnicity okay. yeah absolutely um, lots of those cases though they came up in the, um, the context of prison and it was you know whether or not they had a civil right to wear their hair a certain way um or whether their religious beliefs required that they wear their hair a certain way.
1: Okay, how do you now the the idea that these are protected classes is out there, but how do you prove it? Where's the where's the evidence? And what should people be looking
3: to preserve
1: if they feel like they might be the victims of
3: that? So, the hardest part about these cases is that lots of people don't want to speak up to their employer. So they let it go, they let it go, and then maybe they get fired, something happens, they come to me and they say, hey, I want to sue them for these things that happened in the past, but there's no paper trail. So the best thing that you can do is create a paper trail. I mean, emails to HR, phone conversations, not good. Uh, Meetings in person, HR will want to bring you into a meeting. Later on in the litigation, they will claim that meeting never happened. Hmm. You'll have to bring in witnesses to say, no, I saw her walk into that meeting. So you'd be amazed at what they will do. I mean, I've had cases where uh, a woman said she was pulled into a closet and she was sexually assaulted at work. The employer says there's no closet there. I have to go to the to the location, find out whether there's a closet, then find out that they actually did construction to get rid of the closet. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's oh. so the evidence in these cases, you have to take it upon yourself to basically speak up and to put this stuff in writing. And if you do and you do it through the right avenues, it's going to move like people in the company, especially if they have like a legal department, they're going to pay attention to that. So um, it's hard to do, though. You know, it's hard to do because people will think, I, you know, I just want to work. I, I just don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, ruffle feathers here. I don't want to be a problem. I just want to work. But unless you put that in writing, no one's going to do anything.
0: Do the rules differ from, you got a lot of licenses to practice in a lot of different places. Do they differ from state to state? The rules different
3: they do actually I mean like so uh, Pennsylvania or federal law and usually lots of these cases are brought under federal law mm. so in federal law we're in federal court right um the you also have to go to the EEOC the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission so you have 180 days in Pennsylvania of 300 days to go to them and file a charge of discrimination
1: is that a prerequisite to being able to go to court yes so if you if you do not go through first the EEOC, then you cannot ever get into a courtroom. Yes. Okay. Now, the EEOC is within I'm sorry, 180 days, 6 months. Yes. How do you file with the EEOC? What what's the what's the
3: uh, the process for that? So, they now have an online portal, you can sign up, you can make an account yourself. You can go to eeoc.gov. Um, this is just for the individual. Lawyers can do it differently. Um, you can fax in a charge of discrimination. Uh, you can bring it down to uh, there at Eighth and Market. Just bring it right to the office, or you just call and you set up an appointment. And if you meet with the investigator, you can fill out the charge of discrimination there. But whatever you put in that charge of discrimination, you're going to be stuck with. So, for example, if you say I was racially discriminated against, and then later you're like, and then I was fired. I was, you know, retaliation. I was fired for, for complaining of the religious discrimination. If you don't write retaliation on that charge, you're not going to be able to sue over it.
1: Right, let me give you an example. What if somebody were out on FMLA or maybe intermittent FMLA and their employer was kind of aggravated about that and they came up with some excuse to fire the person down the pike? Um, is that a potential claim?
3: Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, lots of these statutes, whether they're federal or the, they're state, they say you, if a person basically engages in what we call protected activity, you actually are utilizing that statute, that law. <clears throat> Excuse me. You if you're fired or if they take any action, you know, there, there's cases where they say, hey, you know, at, normally at work, we have birthday parties for people. My, ber- my birthday came up. There was no cake. That actually could constitute adverse employment action. I'm not sure how much money that's worth, but you could bring that case because they're treating you differently because you complained. Um, FMLA, pregnancy discrimination, all these things are things that if you try to utilize it and your employer, you know, uh, takes an adverse action against you, you can sue them. Uh, Jury duty is another one.
1: What about people who are just fired because the employer don't like the person?
3: It's a great reason to fire people. Yeah. In fact, like if I was advising employers so often, especially like with the corporations, they don't want to actually say the thing that the reason. So they create all of these pretextual reasons, which then get them sued because if it turns out they're wrong. If somebody actually just said, hey, John, in an email, John, you're not doing your work. Um, it's not up to par. You're fired. John's got no case. I mean, unless he complained about something, you know, in, in the you know, that led to that. Um, Later, if John's like, well, I was discriminated against, the jury's going to see that email, and they're going to go, that's a pretty good reason to fire somebody. But corporations don't do that, and HR doesn't do that.
1: Yeah. They try to gild the lily, and it gets them in trouble. Yep. 215-227-2727. We're talking to Jesse Klaproth. Uh, Jesse is an attorney who focuses his practice on employment discrimination. Um, And one of the cases in the news today involves pop star Lizzo um what's the what is that case based upon
3: so the Lizzo litigation is really interesting I mean it's under California law but the law in California is similar to you know what we have in Pennsylvania and under federal law uh you know it is a smattering of a lot of different claims you have sexual harassment claims in there you have um, gender discrimination claims. You have disability discrimination claims. You have religious discrimination claims. Uh, the Lizzo lawsuit is like a law school class in employment litigation.
1: What What is the factual allegations? Um, give us the, the background. What are they saying happened?
3: So uh, there's three dancers that worked for Lizzo, uh, two of whom um, you know, basically made it on her show and actually succeeded and, and were given jobs um, on tour they were brought to strip clubs they said that as a condition of their employment they were made to go to strip clubs in Amsterdam actually sex shows Um, one of the dancers alleges that she was forced to touch the breasts of a female dancer um there's religious discrimination that they said that they had christianity imposed on them that they had to engage in prayer groups that they didn't want to wait a
1: minute i'm trying to understand this they go to sex shows and they have christianity (laughs) (laughs)
3: I get the Christian before sure everybody does the prayer circle about to hit the stage. Is that what they're talking about? It's well, so actually, so one of the and they call her a supervisor, but it's not really clear what she is in this big girl, big touring inc, which is the Lizzo's company. Um, this Miss Quigley, who's being sued too, uh, in one paragraph they're talking about how Miss Quigley is telling everyone not to engage in premarital sex. In the next paragraph they're talking about how miss quigley is fellating a banana and showing them how to engage in oral sex Your so miss quigley uh, you know has you know it's like a dr jekyll Palette. and mrs hyde or, you know, I mean, <laughs> um, it's uh but it's it's really you know the religious discrimination stuff is a little bit different here because here we have somebody who's not saying hey i'm trying to engage in my religion um and i'm being penalized for it you have people saying i don't want to engage in this prayer circle now, you're not forced to do that. If that works, so your employer says, hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, a Christian or Muslim, you know, office or firm, and we're, we're going to do this every day. And you say, I'm not going to do that. That's fine. But what I didn't see in the complaint was anybody being penalized for that. And, you know, and I think this is a major problem for the dancers' claims is that we have a lot of stuff going on. Even if they're going to sex shows, that's great, but, I mean, you know, it's not great, but, I mean, if your employer is saying, hey, after work, let's go to this strip club, and you're like, great, I want to go. Sure. Um, That's different than if you're like, I felt like I had to go or I would have been fired. Mm -hmm. So I think the evidence, if the evidence comes out and some of these dancers are, you know, and now everything's recorded, but if some of these dancers are on video or they tweet or they're on TikTok and they go, hey, you know, Lizzo's the best boss. She just took us here. She took us to this club. That's a problem. That's a major problem for them.
1: Yeah, it has to do with their 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 willingness to participate whether it's forced upon them. And that becomes a very hard thing to prove.
3: Right, because that's a perception.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, and it's also, you know, when we talk about um I lot- mean it's not
1: great for your employer to even <laughs> I, I mean as an employer I would I would feel a certain way about saying, "Hey, let's all go to it's a sex true. show yeah, tonight." Yeah. I mean that to me that crosses a line in and of itself it's yeah
3: well you know and there's cases where um, some of the men at work will be talking about having gone to strip clubs and the women will say this discussion at work is inappropriate and this constitutes a hostile work environment now that's a little different because now we have them talking about it at work Um, I think that the distinction here is is that once you leave the workplace the question is is this an extension of work is your employer you know if
0: the, is the meter still running so to speak
3: yeah. right it, if the boss I mean this happens all the time um, somebody is on a work trip boss knocks on the hotel room door what happens they uh, boss has sex with the employee employee says I felt compelled to do this now what's gonna happen is the employer later they're gonna fire that guy and then they're gonna say well that was outside of work that you sue him that's not us anymore And then the courts are going to look to see well was this an extension of your job was this something that actually you felt like you had to do so you could see lizzo's dancers saying we felt compelled to do this but a court very well could say did any of you say no um you know did you say no i'm not doing this now this is why this makes you know my job hard because in real life who's going to do that you don't want to you know i mean this is a great job you know they're working for the celebrity she's got this great message they don't want to throw that away but also, if they don't speak up, then they might not have a case.
1: The employee. What if there's there's a, a an employee manual, okay, a handbook yeah. that says you employees should not have relations with one another
3: does that exist in employee handbooks yes and uh, employee handbooks are either the Bible or they're a waste of paper depending on who you're asking and that could go for the employer or the employee lots of times people I mean I'll see employee handbooks that are you know a thousand pages that have never been distributed to employees the person sues and the employer goes it's in the handbook or we have what you know when people now apply for jobs online sometimes you're clicking a box and you say I agree to this employers policies before you even work there Later on, when you file a lawsuit, they're going to be like, you agreed to this policy and you didn't. And, and, and then our argument as the lawyer is like, come on, they're not reading this. Um, they don't even see it. Uh, there's no consideration for this at that point in time. Uh, but courts, you know, uh, lots of times if courts can kick a case on something like that, they might do it. Uh, it's an easy way for them to get, you know, clear their dockets. So it's important, folks, if you're listening to this conversation, that you get
1: and read your employee handbook. That will be the contract of sorts between you and your employer. If they do something which is contradicted by the handbook, you've got a better case. And you need to know what the rules of the road are when you're employed by a company. It's important. Um, 215-227-2727. We're talking to Je- Jesse Clapbroth uh, about uh, employment discrimination claims. If you've been discriminated against in the workplace, and you feel like uh, you ne- you didn't get a chance to express your claim, or you did express it, and it how however it worked out, we'd love to hear from you. So the number to give us a call is 215-227-2727.
4: If you have a claim, you you feel something has happened in the workplace, whether it's sexual or racial discrimination is HR truly your friend and the place to go
3: uh, <clears throat> HR I mean no offense to anybody out there working in HR but HR um, is really just a defense for the for the company now I say this and I, I'm also going to tell you that you have to utilize HR though why do you have to utilize HR because if you don't follow the employee handbook Say, for instance, you believe you're sexually harassed and they say, you have to report this to a supervisor, you don't do that. Later, they'll use that as a defense. The company will say, how are we supposed to know you're not reporting this? So you have to go to HR, but HR is there to protect the company. That's why my, you know, as far as amassing evidence, if you're going to have a meeting with HR, um, send an email. Here's what, you know, here's what I'd like to meet with you about. If you leave the meeting with HR, send an email. Here's what we just talked about. Because HR, if you have a meeting with them, <clears throat> they will later turn that and say, no, we didn't talk about that. We talked about this, uh, you know, behavioral issues at work for you. Or, so I wouldn't trust HR. Um, document everything, make them do their job. Uh, but later, those HR professionals are the witnesses that will be testifying against you if you bring your case. Just keep that in mind.
1: Therefore, I guess it's really important to have an email chain. Um, to have, I mean, that's the way people communicate today in the workplace is through emails and that nobody's writing letters and, and, you know, having it certified mail delivered to uh, your boss, though that may be a requirement in the employee handbook. Again, getting back to make sure you know what your obligations are. However,
3: for the most part, people communicate by emails. That's a good way to communicate. Yes, absolutely. And, and despite, you know, the employee handbook may say you have to go to this person, your direct supervisor. If your direct supervisor is the person that's harassing you, that's difficult. You're not going to do that. So you might then say, I'm going to go over their head, I'm going to go to their boss or I'm going to go to, you know, even to a different, um, you know, a different office or a satellite office. I'm going to complain there because I can't complain to this person. Oftentimes what happens is, is that you're complaining to the person that is doing the thing that is actually discriminating against you. And usually that will result in you getting terminated. Uh, they're going to fire you because you're a problem now for them. So it, it makes it difficult. Now you should follow you know you should follow the the employee handbook. But any case I've had or any trial I've had where people have documented what's going on, it's damning evidence. Um, you know to see that email and and don't dance around the issue too. If it's racial discrimination, say I'm being treated differently because of the color of my skin. Write that in the email. Don't you know sort of you know. Um, Uh, massage the issue and act as if it's like well you know I feel as if I might be treating say it say those words once you say those words there's power in them Um, and you know hopefully HR will respond and if they don't then you know then you contact a lawyer or you go to the EOC how
1: important in today's litigation world is social media Hmm.
3: social media is interesting because I'm sure you have the same experience where I'll be taking somebody's deposition or I'll cross-examine them at trial and they see a tweet that they did or they see their LinkedIn page or they see something on Facebook and they're amazed that everybody else can see it. We can all see this. <laughs> you're creating a paper trail of your life. It is wonderful when it goes against you know, the, the, the person I'm suing. But often the first, first conversation I have with clients is, let me see your social media. Because if you're saying my boss made me go to this strip club, I, I hate going to strip clubs. I never go to strip clubs, but I see something on social media about you being at a strip club, you don't have a case. Uh, so social media, just remember, when we create paper trails at work, social media is creating paper trails for your life. Um, and this is evidence that will be used, and juries will ooh and ah when they see these things that, that you've done. So, And, esp- and also, um, for putting
1: aside causation for a moment, on damages. If you're claiming that your life has been destroyed and then you got – Photos of you with the family at Disney World uh, and you've got a big smile on your face, it conflicts with what you're trying to claim from a damages perspective. A jury looks at that and they go, wait a minute, your life isn't, you're going on and doing all the things you normally do in the way you normally did them. Uh, How bad can your life be?
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And your employer, when you claim, if you claim emotional distress associated with uh, termination or some, you know, work event... Uh, Your employer, then, the defense handbook is to go into every detail of your life. They will say, you're not depressed from work. You're depressed because you had postpartum depression. Uh, You're not depressed from work. You're depressed because you had a bad relationship with your boyfriend. Uh, In sexual harassment claims, they still do the shaming of the women. They will try to go through their sexual history and basically say they asked for it, which is amazing. You know, sometimes I'll say in social media, we're, we're in 2023 with sexual harassment suits, but in court... With judges and with some of these defense lawyers, it is 1955. I mean, they will. Oh, she wore a short skirt. It's amazing what they will bring up. And sometimes remember who they're talking to, especially with these judges. You know, some of these judges are older white males, uh, and they're a receptive audience to you know to these claims that you know, oh, the woman was addressing provocatively. So while we'll see on social media, you know, um, people being outraged by this, sometimes in court it's not this. It's not the same case. So, um, and my clients are usually surprised by that. So I have to, like, you know, I have to tell them this is what's coming down. You know, this is what's coming. So be, you know, steal yourself because this is the defense. Right.
1: 215-227-2727. Let's, we got callers uh, lined up. Let's catch one before the break. Line 2, Jeffrey. Hi, Jeffrey. Welcome to Court Radio.
5: Hey, good morning. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, we can. Turn your radio down and... What's your question or comment?
5: Um I used to work at Penn Medicine. Um I was contracted to work there as a custodial manager through Aramark, right? So Aramark ran the housekeeping department at Penn. Um I was there for 3 years. Um I had prior to that I had 13 years experience. I felt as though I was racially discriminated against by management. Um, Not just me, the other two managers that I worked with. We ran the second shift in uh, medical, right? Uh, Two of us are Muslim. Me, a Muslim Muslim black woman, and a Spanish uh, Hispanic guy. how long of a window do i have i left the company in 2001 is it too late for me to pursue a lawsuit
3: uh the short answer is yes um you you know you have a very tight timeline with employment cases um you have to get to the agency within uh 180 days uh for pennsylvania uh, the EEOC can sometimes extend it to 300 days, but I always tell everyone 180 days is basically the um, you know, the timeline that you have to bring it in. So uh, that's the other hurdle in these cases is you have to bring them very quickly and get them to an agency um, or get to an attorney that can get you to the agency. You know,
1: if there's one thing that my listeners need to hear today is that on employment discrimination claims, you have a six-month window, 180 Days, This is not your typical two-year statute of limitations like you would on a civil action. To sue your employer, you, ha- you may have two years, but to begin that suit, you have 180 days to file with the EEOC. Now, EEOC gets the matter, and they dicker with it for what? How long? Typically. Uh, Ten months. Ten months. So they're playing with this. So you wait six months. You file with the EEOC. Now you've got a ten-month investigation stage that the EEOC engages in and then the EEOC says eh, we're not pursuing this claim it's not big enough for us not sexy enough we're not we're not gonna pursue it you're now ten and six you're 16. now 14 months down the road from the harassment um, do you have two years from th- when the EEOC kicks it to sue your employer or do your do you still have a two-year window from the very beginning of the claim
3: no. Uh, usually when the EOC kicks it, you have 90 days. So they give you what's called a right-to-sue letter. Uh, and then you, the lawyer, if you have your lawyer, you'll get them. I get them now through like the EOC portal. And you have 90 days to file a lawsuit. So they can sit with it for a year, two years. Now, oftentimes the reason you should have a lawyer is because the lawyer is going to push the EOC to take action. And oftentimes what I want the EOC to do is, is to just give the case back to me give me the right to sue letter. Let's go to court. Um, you know, you're taking too long. I've never had them actually. Sometimes they try to broker settlements. It's usually for a very little amount. It's not worth it. Um, you got to go to court on these cases. So part of what the lawyer's doing is bullying the EEOC to, to take action. Um, in Pennsylvania, if you bring the Pennsylvania statutes, um, Pennsylvania also has their own protections. You have 180 days to file with them. Now, if you file with the EEOC, you can also say, Cross file with the PHRC, the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, so you can preserve your state claims too. Uh, with racial discrimination, there's a different. You can actually sue under 1981, a civil rights statute, which gives you a four-year statute of limitations. Um, so that that's another. So sometimes with racial discrimination, it's a little bit different. You might be out of luck with the EOC, but you could bring the 1981 claim. So, um, but you know, there's different reasons why you do or don't do that. Um, sometimes lawyers, including me, will say. I don't want to mess around with this. I have a racial discrimination claim. I want to get to court. I'm filing 1981. I'm going to waive the other claims. You know, so you have a conversation with your client. Here's what you're giving up, but let's get speed. Because you can't have a case seven years down the line, and you're going to trial. The employees, all the people, the witnesses at these cases, or at these, these, um, these companies, they leave there's no witnesses anymore right. and so you'll have you'll be going to trial and you're you you have people that you can't even find anymore bringing into court so you want to move fast with these cases as fast as possible and be represented
1: by a competent attorney yeah. because there are many hurdles many statutes many technical issues that need to be overcome and it's really important that you get it right the first time 215 227 2727. If you've been the victim of racial discrimination or age discrimination, you'd like to discuss your case, please give us a call at that number 215 227 2727. We'll be back in two minutes. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters
2: most.
1: I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most.
0: answers here's more court radio with your host Dean Weitzman
1: yes we're back I'm Dean Weitzman your host of court Radio Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on 100.3 WRMB yep
0: and classics 107.9
1: Folks, we're talking to Jesse Klaproth, who is a, an attorney in Philadelphia who's doing employment discrimination claims, um, workplace, hostile workplace claims, um, and uh, we've learned a lot this morning so far. I just want to run it down. If you think you might have a claim, you've got the first hurdle to file with the EEOC within 180 days, 180 days of you separating for the firm or 180 days from when the incident occurred? What's the, what's the triggering event? Mm.
3: That's a great question. So uh, the triggering event is actually the discrimination. So if you continue to work at the company, um, sometimes we'll have uh, you know five, six instances of discrimination. Only two of them are actually covered by the statute of limitations because of when you complained. So if something happens at work, Always think, you know, I have 180 days to get this to an agency or I got to get to a lawyer right away Um, because if not, you could come down the line and, and you'd say, well, I got fired, you know, two weeks ago, but there was this hostile work environment and they were doing, you know, they were showing me pornography at work and they were harassing me and but that happened last year. And that's not going to be covered. So um, lots of times we have courts dicing it up and saying this is covered, that's not covered. And the jury may not even hear about that. So they might not hear about all of the stuff that happened at the workplace, you know, prior to you being terminated. Interesting point.
1: Interesting point.
3: All right. Line one, we
1: have Anonymous. Anonymous, welcome to Court Radio. Yes.
4: Good morning. How are you
1: today? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for calling us. What's your question or comment?
4: question. I work for the Postal Service government agency, and I was only working four hours a day under restrictive orders from the doctor. And one day I went into work. I had already been harassed by my manager about my timing and me only working four hours a day. And she pulled me in the office, her and another supervisor, and she says to me, listen, I need you for eight hours. I can't use you for four. Now, mind you, I've been working all along with the four hours getting the job done, even being trained for another job and getting it done. She said, well, I still don't need you for four. I need you for eight. And if you can't do that, then I need you to go ahead home. I can't use you. I'm like, okay, my doctor's restrictive orders only allots me four hours a day. Do you really want me to go against his his orders? It doesn't matter. I need you for eight. And if you can't do that, then you may as well clock out. I said, well, I'm not going against my doctor's orders. I'm not doing that.
1: So what ended up happening? What what ended what ended up happening in that job?
4: I clocked out. I'm still uh, employed, but I had never heard anything from them for at least six months. For them to start flipping everything, ask me to sign leave slips
1: and all that. Let me ask you a question: Were were you were were you out of work because of a condition or injury? That you sustained yes. on the job.
4: On the job, yes. I so had COVID you're so
1: real uh, bad. okay. Right. So you're on workers' comp to uh, no, uh, on 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 like I a. I was on
4: workers' comp. I was on workers' comp, uh, Dean, and then all of a sudden now they cut it off and say um am a Yes
1: okay so this is slightly different you're out on workers compensation on a light duty or limited duty uh restriction and the employer says we don't have light duty or limited duty uh work for you so you can go home and then they pay you 100 percent of your salary and you're not working then they then they uh, let you go. They they say you no longer need to be out on light duty. We're we're just gonna if you don't come back, we're gonna let you go. And they let you go. That becomes a workers' compensation claim. Okay, you say I can't. They say you can. Um, and and to make matters worse, you're working for the federal government, so it's a federal workers' compensation claim where there's uh, very few attorneys in the world who handle those claims because they have so little value in, in, to the attorney. Um, because the maximum ch- that you, an attorney can charge is 10% on a federal workers' comp claim. They've essentially made it nearly impossible for these federal workers to get good quality representation. Though I do know one attorney in Philadelphia who handles that, and that I send all those cases to him. But that's handled under the workers comp section is there an opportunity jesse where you see a workers comp claim but also see a discrimination or harassment claim at the same time
3: um yeah there's two circumstances the first is if somebody files a workers compensation claim and then gets terminated or has an adverse employment action you can sue for retaliation um i've had those cases in philadelphia because uh, it happens a lot someone gets injured on the job and they say you know you're a custodian we don't need you anymore you hurt your leg i need you to carry things uh you're gone and so um the, the second circumstance that you could bring this under is um uh, a disabilities claim right so uh, the americans with disabilities act like if you have what you perceive as a disability and that's something that you know the federal guidelines will tell you so saying i have one doesn't necessarily mean you have one you have to actually get get to a lawyer and see if you have one that qualifies um but if you do and you say to your employer, you know, I have this disability, I have to take um, seizure medication and it makes me drowsy, I have to sit down during work, uh, then the employer has to engage in a process with you. They actually have to sit down and say, okay, look, you're working in retail, we can not ha- we can only have you sit down for an hour, I can't have you sit down for two hours. If the employer engages in that process with you uh, and then the employer determines that it's still it's unreasonable, we don't believe that you can do your job, um, you know, we need somebody who's standing, you know, sorry, we, you know, but we need somebody standing for eight hours. Um, then, and they let you go, the employer is going to have a defense because they engaged in that process. Lots of times, though, they don't engage in that process. They simply just say, oh, sorry, you know, someone comes to you and they say, you know, I was diagnosed with lupus and I can't, uh, you know, I'm going to be out, at, you know, uh, I have, have to take medication and I'm going to have lots of doctor's appointment. And the employer says, okay, we don't need you anymore. Well, you know, you're going to be able to sue them and you're going to have a, a pretty good claim for that. Um, this happens a lot. Um, you know, the difference with federal employees, though, is is that federal employees don't have access to the courts uh, for claims like this. Like, they're going to have to go through the internal process set up for that for the government agency. So, you know, you're going to have to complain to your supervisors at work and go through that process. You're not going to be able to get. And again, there's only a very select amount of lawyers that are doing that sort of federal workplace work because it's not very lucrative. Um, the other thing too with federal employees, you could potentially have civil rights violations because you're not, you know, you're entitled to, to due process before you lose your job if you're a federal employee. So um, there's issues with that too. How does, want, how does it affect your ability to bring a
1: claim when there's a union contract and the employee has the benefit of the union? to raise claims. Do, do they have to go through the union process before they can turn to the courts?
3: Usually because it's part of their collective bargaining agreement. So, um, And they might have an attorney. Sometimes, like, I've had good experience uh, with people getting good results through their union reps. I've had other experiences where people go and they say the union's not doing anything. And so then the best I could get is maybe get a union rep as a witness who sat in on some of these meetings. Um, but ultimately, you want to get a lawyer. I mean, you want to have your own lawyer. And to the extent that the lawyer can participate in even any of these things leading up to court, you want them there. Um, sometimes, you know, I've shown up at, at, at union hearings and it's like being a bull in the China shop because there's no rules of evidence. And, you know, and then they see the lawyer and everybody sort of freaks out. Um, so you want to get your lawyer there and you want to get your lawyer early in the process so that they can participate in all of these things. And and also, I mean. They're amassing evidence against you lots of times, especially if, they're, if you're on the way out. I mean, what the what the employer is doing is building their case. So you want to make sure that you're defending against them building their case and also building your own case.
1: 215-227-2727, the number for all things legal. Anonymous, if you've got further questions about that uh, postal service comp claim issue, Feel free to email me at dean at myphillylawyer.com and I will also be able to hook you up with Jesse uh, and get you his contact information. Okay,
4: good. That, and, and it's so funny that I turned this on this morning and I'm, I'm really battling with these people, with the Postal Service. Yeah. And I'm just so glad that you all uh, touched on this topic, really.
0: We'll
1: keep and, listening. Um, I
4: will be emailing you and getting in touch with you, Dean. Thank you so, so much.
1: You're very welcome. Have a great day. 215-227-2727. Let's talk to Mary, for line four. Tactics.
4: Good morning.
1: Hi, Mary. How are morning, you? Mary.
4: This program is so great. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, I was wondering if one or both of you could speak to um, sexual harassment in the workplace, particularly for these young people when they're in service jobs like uh, waiters or stock clerks, and they're getting sexually harassed by their managers Happened to my son, believe it or not. And his hours start getting cut and you gave great advice for the workplace and sending emails and documenting it. But when you're in an environment where emails and documentation is not the culture, what advice would you give?
1: Okay, Thank you. Thank you, Mary. That was a great question. Um, So you're in, uh, you know, a restaurant um, or, you know, uh, some other um, environment where it's not a business environment in the traditional sense. And there's no computers. They're not using emails. How do these people amass information and evidence?
3: Uh, Text messages. Um, Oh, I forgot about that. Because they're all, you know, especially like with with waiters and waitresses, all that stuff, you know, hey, can you cover my shift? Can you do this? I need you to come in. All this stuff is in text, you know. Um, The thing about preservation of your text messages is hard. How does iCloud work? I don't know. No one seems to know. Um, You know, we think these uh, these text messages are being saved, but they're not. Uh, You know, this is if you really want to protect yourself, I would get a, um, a Gmail or a, a Google Voice number. And the reason I would do that is because when you text through Google Voice, it preserves your text messages in a Gmail. So you can always have that record because I can't tell you how often we don't have text messages from people. Um, and, you know, but look, if, There's cases too, and I'm sure, Dean, you you know this, like we we bring the lawsuit and we want the text messages from the employer or we want the emails. They don't have them. Now we have a different type of case because if they destroyed evidence and they knew that they were aware of the claim, you now have a better case. So sometimes my clients will say to me, "Oh, you know, they're going to destroy all this. And I'm like, that'll be a gift. It'll be a (laughs) gift to you if they destroy this stuff because we'll figure it out. Especially now, like we know there's always a paper trail, there's audit trails we can get you know we can get forensic people to get inside these computers or your phone and find this stuff
1: yeah I mean that's how Mm. they get that's how they get people these days cell towers pinging you know Mm. and and you can preserve text messages and even this old guy figured that out I mean there's you can you know you back up to the cloud you make sure that you have your backup set up on your phone um and i do I've, the upgrades yeah and everything. yeah, yeah. I, and and then you can you can always re-download them to to your phone at a later date what's the biggest case you've handled like financially what what's what, what would be like the largest number
3: um result wise or pending wise i mean pending wise we have a potential whistleblower case that's worth um in uh, hundreds of millions collectability is an issue um, and one thing, too, I, I would want to bring to everyone's attention. So many times people call me and they say, stuff's going on at work. I don't like my boss. And I'll say to them, tell me about the fraud. Tell me about all the fraud that's going on at work. Because what happens is, especially like, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of home health care aides now. Everything's through Medicaid. If you get somebody who is, you know, say, for instance, they're, they're overbilling Medicaid, you have a case on behalf of the government. And these are extremely lucrative for the whistleblower and for the lawyers. So I mean so, cuz government fraud goes that high. So um, and as far as em- employment cases, I mean lots of these the thing is with employment settlements, so many of them are confidential. So we don't know what happens. The Lizzo litigation could just disappear one day. We won't know what happened because what they'll be buying too is the confidentiality. Now, some people say that's that's wrong. You shouldn't be able to do that. And in fact, New Jersey doesn't really allow it in sexual harassment cases, but one of the benefits of it is is that you're getting more money for it you know they're gonna pay you say okay you're putting this under the rug you're not gonna sue us again this is over you're not gonna talk about it you're not on social media about it here's a bunch of money so I mean these claims can go I mean you know we recently had one with uh, four uh, female employees in a workplace and you know the case settled for over a million dollars you know after like uh, a year or two of litigation um and the funny thing is is the first offer in that case was fifty thousand dollars for four women Um, And so fast forward two years, they're going into seven figures.
1: Now, people have an obligation to mitigate their damages. What does mitigation mean and what does your client have to do uh, in order to preserve their claim?
3: So mitigation is interesting because if if you lose your job and then you don't look for another one, they will hold that against you. You can't simply say, hey, I was discriminated against, I lost my job, I'll never find work again actually the evidence that we need to provide is that you're applying for jobs and that you're looking for new work. Now the interesting part is like in age discrimination cases they can be worth a lot of money because lots of times when people are getting fired in their 50s or 60s they're not getting that same job at that same level so they'll get another job and they'll say well I'm making fifty thousand dollars at my at my new job I was making 180 at my old job well they're going to be entitled to that difference you know the court can award them that difference and then even move it forward into the future so the day after the trial the judge is the one who actually decides in employment cases um, what fees or what what um, wages to award the person for future and lost wages. Ah, so the not so jur- the jury. The jury decides the um, the sort of the pain and suffering, the emotional um, you know distress, the embarrassment, the humiliation. So the jury puts a number on that. The judge actually awards the lost wages afterwards. Folks, uh, we're talking to Jesse Klaproth about age and
1: employment discrimination, hostile work environments. Uh, something I'm sure a lot of listeners have experienced. We'll be back in two minutes. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call my Philly lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, We will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most.
0: legal answers here's more court radio with your host dean weitzman
1: yes no no no
0: only, only the first one. Yeah. No, don't. <laughs> He's been here for like how
1: many years? Well, it is is his show. <laughs> All right, folks, we're back. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. on 100.3 WRNB. And Classics 107.9. We're joined in the studio with a colleague of mine, Jesse Claproth, who does employment discrimination and hostile work environment and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, we've had a really interesting show. There's all kinds of twists and turns in this area of the law, which is different than many others. You really will do yourself a favor to lawyer up early in the process So that you can be guided um, accordingly because let's face it, your employer is lawyered up from day one before you even begin working with their HR department, which is essentially their lawyers and witnesses in waiting.
3: Yes? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And in some of these big companies, they're in-house lawyers who some of you may encounter uh, those lawyers will then be participating in the case. Um, sometimes they're witnesses to it, but they're actually participating in the case. So, yeah, the, the, the deck is stacked against you. Your power really is um, the power of the pen. Uh, get things in writing, uh, get to a lawyer, and it changes the entire dynamic. Um, you know, because a lot of times these employment these employment places are like these little bubbles, um, and they believe that like they have all this power, and you feel that too. You get to a lawyer, and they pop that bubble really quick. Um, and so, but without the lawyer, they're going to get evidence against you. They're going to get your admissions. You're going to say things, be like, "Well, it wasn't really race discrimination. Isn't it more that you just don't like, you know, Susan in accounting?" And uh, yeah, maybe. And I say you say that. Well, you you might not have a case now.
1: Line five, Jenna. Hi, Jenna. Welcome to Court Radio.
5: Hi. Um, out of curiosity, I was just wondering. How does the supreme court's ruling on affirmative action affect employment discrimination at a state level or if it does at all so if an employee is willing to challenge that company's you know diversity inclusion program is it even feasible well how does that work
3: well so that's an excellent question i think that's actually fertile ground for new litigation because um you know basically the supreme court said hey we don't want race-based decision making in uh universities now, employers can never engage in race-based decision-making, um, no matter what the race. Um, so they can't, they can't make decisions on your employment based on race. But people are now actually bringing suits saying, hey, if you have a diversity and inclusion policy, we believe that that, is, that itself is racial discrimination. So you're going to have people, you know, uh, majority of majority you know, background, white people, bringing these cases, saying, we don't even want this because you're basically, you're making race-based decisions. Now, whether or not those are successful, I think is, is a little different because, you know, we have, you know, a lot of these universities, some of them are publicly funded, so there's the power of the purse that can control their behavior, but private corporations can do what they want as long as they're not violating the law. So I'm not sure that they'd be able to draw that connection between, hey, we have this policy um, of inclusion, which to me on its face, is not racist you know the policy of inclusion is actually there to combat racism so I'm not sure that those cases will be successful but I guarantee you lawyers are going to bring them uh, and they're going to test it
1: Jetta thanks for your comments and questions it really was actually it's you know nowadays this is all kind of this the 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 sands are shifting under our feet as we Mm. as we go along our lives Um, the Supreme Court is weighed in on affirmative action at universities but as jesse said universities are getting uh federal dollars um and all those uh all those monies expose them to uh oversight that private companies don't necessarily have right 215-227-2727 the number for all things legal if you have an age race gender uh, discrimination claim um, you need to give us a call at that number we'll get you hooked up with Jesse uh, and his team um, to investigate your claim as you said before one of the first things you do is ask to see somebody's social media feeds what else do you want from them
3: um, I want the employee handbook Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, most people I'll say, what does your employee handbook say? And they go, I don't have one. I know you have one. Mm -hmm. You may not have, you know, there's an email somewhere that said, click this link. You have an employee handbook. I want to see the employee handbook because that's going to dictate a lot of what we do next. Um, you know, if the person is still employed when they contact me, I may then sort of on the sly be like, here's what we have to do. You have to contact HR. Here's what you know, this is what you need to write. This is what you're going to do. Uh, and follow those guidelines without them even knowing they have a lawyer yet. That's why it's really important to get to a lawyer soon. And, you know, some of my best cases are when the person is still employed. Uh, and we'll have cases where, you know, we have a recent one where we filed a lawsuit for discrimination while the person was employed and then they fired them. So then we turned around and amended our complaint and said, you fired him because we filed the lawsuit. Right. So we're using the evidence of the lawsuit. That's why it's really important to get to the lawyer early in the stage because now our, our original case may have been like, you know, okay, you know, maybe, you know, a, a pretty strong case. But the second case is a slam dunk.
1: Go ahead. Oh, really? Um, I was hoping to get another issue in, but apparently we're all out of time again. I hate when that happens. I know. Jesse Thank you so much for coming on Court Radio. Good show. Yeah, you really gave a lot of great information to our listeners. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear from them following the show. Folks, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.
4: You're broken down man.